0: Yeah, we'll go ahead and get started. Hey, it's time for a great episode of Get On Code. Today we have with us Wendy Sanford, (laughs) and it's time to get ready. All right, welcome to Get On Code, the Fly Guy Show, which is a series of melanated conversations Focused on empowerment, health, wealth, and knowledge itself. People think in binary choices because they are conditioned to.
1: And on the wall was a picture of a wolf and a lion. I think the wolf was the Democratic Party, the lion was the Republicans.
0: But the drug trade and all these illegal stuff that uh, people do, that's still economics. It's just that they couldn't do it in a traditional system. We're talking about melanated wealth. So we can build wealth, but we just, for some reason... Don't seem to be able to transfer it. You had a great experience. Fine. That means nothing. What were you told as a child about education? You had to be how many times better? Every impression without an expression becomes depression. Yes. You see this? You see this? Excellent book. Good read. Oh, this is the way to start off your three-day weekend. You know, sit back with some great coffee and a book just like this. And we're lucky to have the author, Wendy Sanford, with us today. Uh, Wendy, I'm so glad that you're here with us on the Get On Code Show. Where we focus on empowerment, and our target is Black empowerment. And some might say, hey, uh, Seiko, why she's on the show? (laughs) Well, once you read this book, The Walls Between Us, it'll all make sense. Oh, man. Um, So let's make sense of it all. Wendy. Hi. Tell us about this book and tell us about this beautiful friendship that's chronicled in this book.
1: Okay, I'd love to. So um, the book is is a very personal story of a friendship, 65 year friendship uh, between myself, a white woman and an African-American woman who I met uh, when I was 12 and she was 15 And uh, it's, um, we met in the context of her coming as a summer helper, a summer domestic worker for my family. I was from an upper middle-class white family and we went on vacation and my mother found someone to help her out, which as any of you who has ever done domestic work knows, helping out means doing all the hard stuff in the whole family. So the rest of the people can have uh, a good vacation or a good life. And so I met Mary when she walked into my mother's kitchen in this summer, little summer rental cottage. And uh, uh, the book is really about the long process by which we became lifelong friends. It wasn't quick. There were many obstacles, uh, including how little I knew about her. You know, it's like uh, when she, when I first met her in um, my mother's kitchen, I had no idea that she was part of uh, one of the last waves of the Great Migration, that she had come from the South to, uh, uh, to support her own family. Even though she was 15, she didn't get to be a quirky teenager. She just had to go to work. Um, I didn't understand the respect I should feel for her for having traveled by herself all that way to do to work for her family when I was still just being a girl. There was so much I didn't know. And at each stage in the book, there's still so much I don't know. And I go on a real journey to find out what I need to know to be a, to really deserve to be her friend.
0: Wow, deserve to be her friend. Mm -hmm. And so this friendship and everything that the ups and downs, the lessons learned, it's all chronicled in his book. So family, make sure you pick it up these walls between us. It's a great read. Like I said, take three days, sit back and enjoy it. One of the things that I thought was intriguing about the book is you dealt with, uh, how can I put it? You dealt with the concept of I guess the best way to put it is microaggressions (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know it it seems Mm -hmm. like things happen and if you're not part of the culture sometimes you may not even pick up on it and recently the term microaggressions has come into favor Um, but it's something that in the black community we've talked about for decades Mm -hmm. Um, and i'm sure that other you know blighted communities uh, you know, the Latino community talks about it as well. Uh, some mm-hmm. parts of the Asian community talk about it when they've shared that with me. <laughs> yep, um, it's so
1: true. I think white people are the only people who didn't know about it and we're the ones who do it the most. So go figure.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about microaggressions and how that played into the dynamic that you had with Mary.
1: Okay, I'd love to. So uh, the example comes from pr- a uh, pretty Uh, A ways into our friendship, because for the first few years, um, uh, we were friendly to each other, but I was in my own white girl life, dating, getting married, et cetera, et cetera. And it was only later uh, when we were Mary came back to work for my family Uh, most summers. They would beg her to come back. She would supplement her income. She was working in corrections at the time as, as um, and became the first female officer in the New Jersey uh, uh, Mercer County, New Jersey correction system. And uh, so she, we'd see each other each summer and um, we started walking and talking. Uh, I was, we were both divorced. We were both single parents. We both had work that mattered to us. And um She was there in this isolated uh, summer white community that was brutally isolating for her. And um, I was uh, lonely in my own family in other ways. They were drinkers and I wasn't. And it was... um, So she and I would walk and we would walk the beach at night because um, she was really not allowed on the beach. She was not comfortable or welcome on the beach as a black person unless she was serving somebody. So we'd walk at night And um, I, we became just, we started to really talk about our lives. And so the first microaggression that I can, that I'm aware of, but I'm sure there were many before that um, we had walked uh, on the beach and my, uh, my mother was not comfortable with our being so such good friends. And um, she had asked me that summer if I was going to see my, real friends or my friends, meaning my white friends. And um, uh, Mary and I were talking, we were walking the beach, we just come back and we were talking about my mother and, you know, issues with her, my issues with her. And I said, you know, mom just really is pressuring me to see my friends. And I immediately heard myself and realized that that implied that Mary wasn't my friend that only my white friends counted as my friends. And the reason I call that a microaggression is I didn't mean it meanly, but it really was a mistake. And it it implied something. It implied that my white friends were more valuable than she was. And because she lived in a society that every day found 10 different ways to tell her she was less valuable than white people, uh, my saying that added to a very painful, toxic, accumulated message. So that I could have said, I could have thought, well, that wasn't so big. You know, I just, I was a goof. But it actually is a microaggression because it it added to this, this whole, this whole accumulation of messages that she'd gotten from magazines, from TV, from work, from every place, that as a black person, she was less had less value than a white person so that I would say that adds to that cumulative pain. That's how I understand microaggression. I totally understand you're saying that in communities of color, your own and others, people have been talking about that for a long time. It's it's now some white people are beginning to get it, that we can say things even unintentionally that play into a whole history of of toxic
0: oppression. So that's interesting that you say some. You said some like oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, in this day of more consciousness of you know wanting to make sure that everyone is treated with respect and equality and we're all Americans why is it just some in your in your perspective you know why is it mm-hmm. just some why is it just some white people quote unquote get it and others may not.
1: Um well I can give you my take. I'd like to hear your take on it also. Okay. Okay. Uh, um uh you know I think that during uh the years of the previous president there was a lot of encouragement of people to feel racist, to feel, to, to vent. They're not, not a lot of people feel racist and had been learning not to act on it, which isn't as good, but it's certainly better than acting on it. Uh, there was a lot of encouragement to act hatefully, white people to ha- act hatefully towards people of color and um, to think of white people as superior. And uh, so uh I think a lot of people were affected by that or to felt freer to vent some ugliness that was inside and some prejudice and bias that was inside them anyway. Uh, It's because it's inside all of us who are grow up white. You grow up with, with your, your white skin brings you a lot of privilege. Even if you don't have financial privilege, you look on TV, people look like you, you look in the government, people look like you uh so many things that that go your way a little better because you're white um so uh i think it's you know there's a whole division such a division in this country and uh the why i say some white people are thinking about this is there have been progressive white people for a long time who who see the evils of racism and uh, are starting to understand that that's also within us. doesn't mean we're bad people. It means we learned our lessons well and that we need to unlearn those. Um, But I'm not sure all white, I'm sure that not every white person would think that was an important project. How about your take?
0: I think my take would be your book the walls between us. Uh, I think you had a an experience that allowed you in a very safe manner to, to listen and not necessarily mm-hmm. be judgmental because possibly you love this person. I'm sure you love this person. You love Mary White. So because you had that opportunity where you were safe to listen and she was safe to share And then you were able to observe some things, uh, not directly from her eyes, but from from such proximity that many others may not have had. I think that's one of the reasons why there's some. And so I Mm -hmm. think that exposure really leads to awareness. So if you're exposed to algebra, you understand algebra over time. You know, Mm -hmm. if you're later exposed to calculus, you'll understand calculus over time. So if you're exposed and you really get a chance to see um, the differences that people of African descent, indigenous people have faced here in the United States of America, and your book kind of chronicles how your friendship allowed you to learn that. And we're talking with the author, Wendy Sanford, the author of The Walls Between Us, a memoir of friendship across race and class. And you mentioned race and class in your title. They are so intertwined, I believe, in the American experience. Mm -hmm. And I would Mm -hmm. dare say the experience of the world, um, particularly where there's been colonization of some sort. So I think that's the reason. Uh, Yes. But of course, it's my
1: opinion. Yes. Well, I would just do one P.S. to your opinion, your excellent opinion, is that um, uh, for white people who feel a curiosity and a desire to know people of color better and to listen better. Um, Reading is a great way to start because it's not great for white people to say to your one friend of color, oh, teach me about racism, because that person has plenty to do with their own energy uh, that isn't about teaching you. But there are so many African-American people who have written uh, powerful books about their experience, either through novels or through nonfiction. And so that was a piece of my learning that I was dedicated to for thir- over 30 years, to be able to understand some things about Mary without her having to tell me and teach me everything. So there's a, there's a piece that that you can do as a white person that isn't like waiting to have some person of color come along to teach you.
0: Intriguing. You used the word learn, learn a couple of times in that last statement. So what have you learned about racial injustice from your interactions with Mary?
1: So many things, and this is the great thing about memoir is uh, to being a memoirist, because you um, look, you go back to something you remember happening and you create it as you render it as vividly as you can. And then you revisit it through what you now know. And so I think just take that first scene where Mary at age 15, having traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles uh, through Jim Crow in the South and Jim Crow in the North to come to work in my mother's kitchen for uh, a a month. um, uh, And we met each other. We're standing opposite each other and everything I don't know uh, about the injustices she faced. I didn't know until we talked years later that um when her grandma she grew up with her grandmother and when they had to go to the pharmacy, they could go back in the pharmacy to get the the medications they had to pay for, but they could not use the soda fountain. And her grandmother would say, Well, we're not thirsty anyway, you know, or um, but it was she to this day won't go back. Uh, Mary to this day will not give her business to that pharmacy, but I had no idea when I just met her, uh, what, what she'd grown up with, um, uh, that I didn't know about lynching yet. And, uh, just the year before she came to work for my mother, uh, uh, just the summer before that, a young man who was exactly Mary's age, uh, and, uh, Emmett Till was brutally murdered by white people who thought he had, um, misspoken to, uh, a white woman, which turns out uh, decades later that she lied about that. So, uh, racial injustice, um, murders of black people, uh, even back then when I met Mary were, um, were not prosecuted and, uh, those white men got off scot-free from having brutally murdered this person. So I began learning about racial injustice. Um, I could have known so much more at the time. And fortunately, I, I, I did uh, start paying much more attention as I grew older and then uh, began to understand Mary's life better. And okay, here's another example from those early years. So domestic workers, there's a great book by a woman named Judith Rollins called Between Women. Uh, she studied white domestic employers and black domestic workers. And she was a sociologist, uh, African-American woman, and she posed as a domestic worker for a while. So she writes from the inside. And she um, There were so so many rules that were unspoken for uh, a black domestic worker in a white household. Uh, That may have been true for other groups as well. But this was what she studied, um, black domestic workers in white households. And um, I always wondered why Mary stood up while we had breakfast. She and I, she never ate with the family, even though my family said, oh, we love Mary, etc., Um, She was never invited to eat with the family, but I ate in the kitchen and we'd be eating the same Cheerios and she'd stand up at the counter and eat. And I didn't understand there was a a rule of domestic service that you don't sit down while your employer is sitting down, uh, while your employer's in the room. And um, that's an injustice right there, just in a very domestic, very close, in a, in just a kitchen in the United States, that was um, that was an example of injustice. Uh, and I know there are much larger forms of injustice, um, like the fact that um, when her family, when her uh, stepfather came back from World War II, having fought equally as hard, taken all the risks as white families, as white soldiers, they white soldiers came back to their families and. Un- under the GI Bill, they could purchase a house. But because of racist federal housing policies, I'm not telling you anything, uh, you don't know, uh her family couldn't. And he got some help from a white man in town who liked him, but most people did not. And now when you face this huge wealth gap between white families and black families, people try to, white people get really misinformed and think it's because black families don't work hard. I mean, it's all these lies about it. It was really federal housing policy that deprived those families of purchasing a house. And now, 40 years later, 50 years later, those houses that the white families got to purchase on really good deals have gained in equity, and now they can send their kids to college.
0: Absolutely. Uh, One of our viewers is saying, this is not apples to apples. It's like apples to oranges. And as you just beautifully elucidated uh, earlier in our country's history, and even now, um, we're not on an equal playing field. So Mm -hmm, RTG, thank you for your comment. RTG, I hope you pick up the book. Uh, Wow, these walls between us. All right. So we have the author with us right now. I want to show her website again. I really want to show her website again, because you can go to her website and you can learn a lot about Wendy, you can learn about uh, her friendship. You can learn about some of the things that she's involved in as well. So and Wendy also, Sanford, yeah. yeah, thesewallsbetweenus.com. We don't have much time left. I was only given a half hour. <laughs> but I think it's intriguing that, you know, 30 years after you met in the 80s, your friend Mary said, we should write a book about our friendship. Was this a collective work? Did you and write this with Mary? I mean, you, I know the answer, but I we, want to make sure. I Okay.
1: I, I, so I would say we co-created it just as we co-created our friendship. We co-created the book, but because I'm a writer and because she was working full-time three jobs and because she doesn't really like writing um, uh, or doesn't think she's a good writer because she had a criminally poor education in, in uh, Virginia. She went to an all black one room school. Um, so we just kind of uh, we ended up dividing up the labor, and I would we would talk, I would interview her, we'd talk. It got much better when we started texting because then I'd get all her words, not just what she said coming through me. Um, so um, we co-created it and still had to be very honest that this is a book from my perspective, uh, which is a lot about my journey of learning. How to be a better uh, friend—that she contributed to greatly. So it's a, it's a, um, it's a co-creation that still is my name because that's the honest thing about it.
0: Beautiful. And we're talking about the book "These Walls Between Us." We've been interviewing on Get On Code the uh, beautiful Wendy Sanford. She's written a beautiful book about a beautiful friendship, and I think beautiful change will happen from this book. So make sure you pick up the book. It's everywhere and we have just a few moments left but i know that there was something that you really wanted to share and it dealt with uh domestic org. oh so
1: yes because let's I let's talk yes, about that you. very quick let's um because i know your show is you have a real concern for black empowerment and uh one of the things about domestic service over many many for you know so many decades is uh there have been no benefits whatsoever. And there's a group called the national domestic workers Alliance in which domestic workers are banding together. And they just got a great new law passed in the state of New York. You can look into, um, that just for some worker workplace protections for domestic workers who are, you know, off in someone's house. So they're quite isolated, but, uh, Mary said to me that would that law that was just passed in New York would have made a big difference in her life. Things like sick leave, you know, domestic workers, you're sick, you don't get your pay that day. Uh, sick, just basic workers' rights. So that's a great organization. And I was telling you uh, earlier that the d- uh, domestic employers have also formed an organization to help work for domestic workers' rights, and that they're calling that hand in hand uh, the domestic employers network. So, uh, that's, uh, the empowerment so often comes from working together and both groups that the, particularly the, um, National Domestic Workers Alliance, they're coming together to really work politically and socially for, uh, better protections and better rights for domestic workers. Thanks for asking that. (laughs)
0: Yeah. <laughs> um, so I've kind of gone over my time, but I okay. do want to ask one last question. Do I have one minute left?
1: You can have one minute or two minutes <laughs> or three. Yeah,
0: good, good, good. So my keynote question is, you know, what have you intentionally done different from previous generations to make a better life? You know, how have you done something very different than those who preceded you?
1: Well, um, I when I went to college, I majored in English literature, and I read all works by white men. Ah, uh, pretty much all wealthy white men, and that was in the fifties and the sixties. I, I appreciate that, but um, I set out uh, once I realized how what a poor education that was. I set out to read really all books by black people and people of color for the next 30 years. And I feel that that's made a difference because uh, it's made, it's educated me about the world. And so I can act differently in the world. Um, I'm very, very interested for instance in the whole movement and discussion about reparations There's a a bill that's been coming into our Congress year after year after year to even start studying the question of what white America owes black people who built up the wealth of this nation and got so little of the profits of it. What do we owe these people who were stolen from their homes, their home country, and brought here and put in enslavement for? Uh, centuries. So uh, that's a really important question. And if I hadn't done this reading and learning and talking with other white people about this and learning from black leaders, uh, I wouldn't be interested in reparations. And I wouldn't be searching my heart about and my political abilities for how to get this country to really reckon with this and think about it. So there's an example.
0: I would really love to dive deep into that one. <laughs> so the last question for today, uh, what is one change that you're super passionate about working towards that needs to occur in the world?
1: Well, what comes to my mind uh, right now is um, I w- it's the forceful return of Haitian migrants to a country that is so torn up by earthquake, and by uh, storm Uh, because of their black skin, I think. I I think that um, uh, racism in our public policy uh, led to the real mistreatment of Haitian migrants to send them back to a country that's already in such distress. So that's a change. I would like us to treat immigrants far better, Uh, Our country is built on the work of immigrants. I'd like to see more respect, more welcome, more support. So that's a change I'd like to see.
0: Wow, we've been living, learning, and enjoying this great book, These Walls Between Us. And I would dare say, the more that we read books like These Walls Between Us, some of those walls are going to come down.
1: Bless Some of those you those walls that's a, are
0: definitely going to come That down. is
1: a really good intention and
0: hope. Right. And I will also say that when we're looking at empowerment, and the uh, Get On Code show is focused on empowerment. Our code is empowerment. What you eat should empower you. What you read should empower you. Your activities should empower you. Your political support should empower you and those in your community as well. So get on code. The code is empowerment. So get on code. Teach the code. Live the code, share the code. And Wendy, we thank you for being on our show. Get thank on code.
1: You. Thank you so make much.
0: Sure, make sure you pick up her book, These Walls Between Us, and let's stay on code. This show was brought to you by Positive Vibes Incorporated, our consulting services. We do credit fixes, we do tax resolution, we lend private money and debt consolidation. So if you need Some of these services are waiting here for you. Credit fixes, tax resolutions, private money, and debt consolidation. Make sure you call Positive Vibes Incorporated.